You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. If you have a Bible, turn, if you haven't already, to Ephesians chapter 6. We have been working through Ephesians since like early September, and we are into the practical teaching in Ephesians now. And so from, if you haven't been a part of this church, but if you're familiar with Ephesians, you would know this, that the Apostle Paul takes the first three chapters and is laying out with great clarity who we are as believers, Christians, remade in the image of Christ. We are now men and women who are redefined by the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. That is who we are. And that new spiritual reality then shapes our lives, the very practical day-in, day-out relationships and the things that we're involved in Monday through Sunday is shaped by our new identity in Christ. And so we have been looking at that uh, over the last couple of weeks about the more practical side of our relationships and the life that we lead during the regular, you know, the times other than what we're doing right now. Last week we talked about marriage and the relationship between husband and wife. And this week now we come to children. We come to the relationship within a family where there are little boys and little girls. And if you, you've noticed that our church, we're full of them, okay? There's a lot of kids around here. And so this week speaks very practically to uh, our everyday realities. And it even speaks to those who don't have children because you can either uh, understand more deeply what people who have children are going through Or you can also, from this morning, I haven't really crafted it this way, but from this morning, there are principles that you can take as a person who, Lord willing, will have spiritual children. Because the person who's writing this text for us this morning is a single, unmarried man, okay? God God has a good sense of humor, okay? The Apostle Paul, single, unmarried man, is bringing to us this teaching But Paul himself says that he is a father of many children, spiritual children. So as we look at this text this morning, the majority of the message is going to be very much toward the context of parents with their children, but it's really for all of us as we're involved in, you know, Lord willing, seeing spiritual children come into this world. These principles actually apply to those very relationships as well. So... The Apostle Paul, in verse 1 of chapter 6, begins by addressing children. Paul begins by talking to children. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is where we see again that Paul's teaching is revolutionary. So we've been seeing this in the previous weeks that the way that Paul is teaching us And the way that Paul is speaking to the people that he's writing this letter to is in a very different way than they would have been used to. Totally revolutionary. So Paul has written this letter. It's the book of Ephesians. We call it Ephesians. But it's most likely a letter that was sent to Asia Minor. And it would... 
The plan would have been Paul writes this letter and it gets shared among all these different house churches. So here's what it would have looked at like. People coming together, probably less people than what we have this morning, probably in a home, maybe in a, in a large courtyard, and everybody's there. Single people, married people, married with children, older people, everybody's there. And someone pulls out the letter and reads this out loud to everybody listening. This is partially why we do the scripture reading when everybody's around. We actually want to put this into practice that everybody is coming under the hearing of the scriptures. And so within this very context, as this letter is being read out loud, kids would have been in there. Kids would have been sitting there, just like our kids were a few minutes ago. And Paul now has a teaching for them. Paul says... Children, obey your parents. Now, part of the revolutionary teaching here is that Paul is even speaking to the children. Because in this context, which we're going to see in just a minute, it would have been much more normal just for Paul to speak to the patriarchs of the family. Just to speak to the one who was in charge. But Paul is, is expressing in his teaching here the redefinition of what the gospel has done to the household. We learned about it last week, how Paul has redefined the marriage relationship, which emulates Christ and his church. And now Paul again says, there's actually in this teaching, in the message of the gospel, there's a word to children, and it's that they are called to obey their parents. It, it mirrors Jesus' own teaching and his love for children. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but in Luke chapter 18... Verses 16 and 17, it says this, But Jesus called them, the, the children, to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not inherit it. So the Apostle Paul, in his teaching that directly speaks to children, is echoing is mirroring Christ's own heart for children. That Jesus not only loves children, he welcomes them into his presence. And actually within children is an insight for the rest of us into what the kingdom of God is like. So Paul says here in his teaching, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus' example. Children are, are valuable. Children are part of God's plan. And children actually have a part to play in the, the functioning and working of a family. So Paul says they should obey their parents. And maybe there's some kids sitting in here, maybe they're going to ask the question, why? Right? That's what kids do. They're really good at that. Why should I do that? Why should I obey my parents? So Paul says this, obey your parents for this is right. That's his first reason. For this is right. Paul is just looking at the, the general state of families on the planet. And Paul says, in general, it's right that children obey their parents. And all of us can attest to that as well. No matter where you go, and you know, if we listed all the countries that we've been to, it's probably a lot of countries, no matter where you go on the planet, 
there's no people that just allow children to do whatever they want. Now, you may have been in some context where you're like, man, those people, they let their kids do a lot of stuff, you know? But nowhere would you go on the planet where they're just like, whatever you want. You're nine months old, you wanna crawl into the streets, find your way, little one, you know? Like, nobody is doing that, okay? Nobody is just saying, find your route. Paul says, here's a general statement. Wherever you go, it's right that children obey their parents. But then he says, more specifically, if you believe in God, if you believe in Jehovah God, Paul connects this to God's commandment. Paul quotes from the Ten Commandments and says, this is, this is also a connection for you. If you believe in God, if you put your hope in Yahweh, then you should see that God actually gave to the children of Israel 10 commandments, just 10 commandments that are like a summary of his law. And though the commandments were given to show us our sinfulness and show us how we can't actually do them, they are still, according to Paul's own teaching, they are perfect, they are holy. And there's only 10 of them. And Paul says, one of the 10 is this very statement that children should honor their father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So Paul says again, here's a general principle that if you're a believer in Jehovah God, you should obey your parents because it's in the Ten Commandments. It is a teaching from God from his perfect law. So Paul says, there's your reasons, okay? You should do it because it's right, and you should do it because it's a commandment. But within here, and that's basically the only teaching for kids, but within here, Paul is also giving a word to parents. It's kind of embedded in here. In the first part of verse 1, it says, children, obey your parents. So here's the word that Paul is giving to us, those of us who have children, is that we are called to parent our children. If you have children, okay, this might seem obvious, okay, everybody's kind of looking at me like, is there some more depth to this? There's not any more depth to it, okay? If you have children, you are their parents. It's not the government, it's not a school, it's not their grandparents, it's not all these other, it's not even, it's not even the church, Paul says, these children are called to obey their parents, meaning you parents have a role to play. This is not to be uh, shuffled off to someone else. Paul says, you are the ones that they are going to listen to. You are the ones that they are called to obey. You are the primary person in their lives that is to shape them for the future. Proverbs 1.8 says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So this is the word of advice from Proverbs. Your parents are the, the voices that you are called to obey. This is, how, this is the structure of how God has put it together. But there is a wonderful benefit that believers can experience. Though God is called us as parents to raise these children that have been given to us, when we enter into this 
faith community, it actually brings us into a greater group of people who care for and who are praying for and are supporting parents and kids as well. Because everything we've been learning about Ephesians, I mean, we used it as the image for the whole series, is that we have been brought together as a household. We are pulled together because of the gospel. Part of what happens in church life is we don't just sit in pews together. We're called to actually be a part of one another's lives. So on one hand, this calling of Paul's in verse 1 can like feel like, oh, this is all on us. But actually within the context of Ephesians, it's on us, the church. We help one another in that process. We have, uh, Liz and I have moved around a lot, and uh, some of you know, like, we're not originally from Elmira, even though we've been a part of this community for a long time now. And so we have experienced, probably all of you have experienced this as well, we have experienced the benefit of getting to know people within a church context and they becoming essentially like family to you, where you get invited into their homes, you get invited maybe even into like special holidays or, or things that people would, this is, you know, this would be defined as just a family thing. You actually get brought into that. And it's, it's one of the wonderful benefits of being brought into a church family where you're not alone in this process, whether it's raising children or living life or going through the highs and lows of everything, this beautiful, sometimes I don't know if you've had this where you've talked to people who almost would long to be a part of a community like that. They're not Christians. They don't understand this experience of being brought in. And maybe you're even sitting here and you're like, I haven't experienced this. This is one of the benefits of church life is being brought together. So Paul says, Children, you're to obey your parents, and parents, these are your children to be responsible over and to raise, but you're doing it together as a family of God. So now, Paul gets into the practical teaching. So for the rest of our time, we're just going to look at verse 4. And from verse 4, I want to pull out four practical ways that parents are called to parent. Four things that Paul is going to pull out of this one little verse for us. And the first one is this, that we are called to parent with love. And Paul begins, verse 4, with a special word to fathers. Paul draws them out here. So Paul begins by addressing them. So he says, in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So Paul here again is specifically speaking to the dads in the room. And in this context, Paul is speaking again to a a culture where the dads had like total, total reign over a household. It would have been totally normal for the household to be completely run and dictated by the father, by the patriarch of the household. William Barclay sums it up this way. A Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. 
He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands, to punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. Total rule. Now Paul is writing to these Ephesian believers, many of them, if not all of them, of Roman descent, living in this Roman city, with this as their mindset. And now Paul says, your desire, dads, to kind of grab control and to control your children in a way that exasperates them or brings them, you know, makes trouble for them in an undue way, Paul says, that's not your calling anymore. You have been made new. The relationship that you have in the family has been redefined by the gospel. So just like Paul called husbands to lead through self-sacrifice, we looked at that last week, now Paul is saying, dads, fathers, don't grab the power again. The temptation is there to want to grab and control everything. Paul says, that is not your calling now. He is redefining the context for them. So from a cultural perspective, Paul's saying, don't go the route of the culture. But also Paul, I think even the, the greater message from Paul here is that this is your calling now. This calling of self-sacrifice that you had in marriage, you bring that now to the context of your fatherhood and the way that you serve your family. And Paul here is addressing the calling of dads in the household. And there is uh, research out there that shows how important the involvement of dads are in the development of children, be they sons or daughters. Dads play a significant role in the lives of young people as they grow up. In uh, a book called the, the Boy Crisis, it's talking about the relationship between fathers and their sons and also to their daughters. Um, these authors do extensive research and they look at the importance of the role of a father in children's lives. And here's a summary statement from that book. The boy crisis's primary cause of is dad-deprived boys and also daughters. Dad deprivation stems primarily from the lack of father involvement and secondarily from devaluing what a father contributes when he is involved. Whether our children become financially rich or poor or emotionally rich or poor depends increasingly on whether they grow up dad rich or dad poor. So this is, this is not a Christian book. He's just looking at this from a, mostly from a statistical analysis point of view. He's saying the success of people in general often will depend on are they dad rich or dad poor? Meaning is the dad involved or not involved? And they go through and say, this is what society shows. And can I tell you, all they're doing is proving what Paul is actually stating here. Dads, don't seek power. Don't seek just to try to control a situation. Your involvement primarily 
Remember, what's the, what's the point here is that we're called to parent with love. Primarily is to be involved in your children's lives and to be a loving presence for them. Paul is saying you need to be involved. You need to be in the game when it comes to parenting your children. So Paul says, dads, don't, don't be overly aggressive. Don't, you know, kind of make your children angry. But rather, what does he say? He says, bring them up. He uses the word bring them up. And this is the same word that was used earlier in chapter 5, verse 28. Look at this. It says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That word nourish is the same word that Paul is using here for bring them up. So, In the marriage context, you're called to love your wife. And now Paul says, bring that love into the child rearing. When you're parenting them, let love be the thing that is communicating mostly to them. Now, it's going to come in a lot of different ways. I've heard someone describe parenting this way. For the childhood years from like 1 to 13, you're like a cop, okay? And through the teenage years, you end up being a coach, about like 18. And then when they're adults, you're a consultant and you may or may not get hired, okay? Depending on how good you maybe did the cop years, okay, whatever it is. But through all those different layers, through the cop, through the coach, through the consultant, Paul is saying here, the nourishing of a loving relationship is to be the leading edge of all that you're doing. Because Cops have to do some cop kind of stuff, right? And coaching is specific. But in all the things that you're doing, the, the fuel that is leading it is this nourishment through a parent who loves. Whatever you're doing is going to be rooted in love. So Paul says, parent with love. Number two, parent with discipline. So Paul says, bring them up in the Discipline, And this word is specifically talking about their actions, the things that children are doing, the right things and the wrong things that children are doing. Paul says, part of your role in in parenting is to discipline, is to kind of say, this is how we do things in our household. And when you don't fall in line with that, there's actually going to be some ramifications that are difficult for you. We've all experienced that before. Right? We were all there as adults, and maybe even in other circumstances. I was thinking this week of when I went for my driver's training. Remember those days when you went for driver's training, and you're driving, and you've got a driving instructor who's got uh, a brake pedal on that side. Yeah, probably all of us went through that. I still vividly remember he telling me, at a stop sign, you look left, center, right, left one more time. I was like, okay, I got this. So we're driving along. I must have got lax or something, okay, because I stopped at a stop sign, and I pretty quickly was ready to go, and he slammed on the brake and yelled at me, like pretty heavy, okay? You know, a tear maybe was forming in the corner. I don't know. He was like, I told you, look left, straight, right, left. From then on, I was like, okay, 
This is how we do it, at the stop sign. And still to this day, when I come to a stop sign, his yell kind of comes into my mind, you know? It's like, whoa, this is like big time, okay? That moment, um, that wasn't uh, parental discipline, okay? That was just driving instructor discipline. But that moment of discipline is usually the hardest moment for us as parents. Knowing how hard to push in a moment, how hard to come down. And I'm not gonna have the answer for you this morning, okay? Because there's like a million situations that we enter into as parents where the the discipline has to come down. And for some of us, our own experience of discipline has been negative. Maybe we had a really harsh experience or maybe some really difficult experiences with discipline, or we just generally don't like that. And so we have maybe even looked at a text like this and said, that's kind of like antiquated. That's old school. That's 2,000 years old, Paul. That is like done, you know? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the opposite of wrong discipline is not the absence of discipline, but the right discipline, true discipline. So before we quickly throw out this idea of discipline, we've got to ponder it because it's there. Paul says part of your role as parents is to be the one who brings discipline and order and training into the family context. There's an article I read. um, It came out this summer. It was from the Melbourne Child Psychology and School Psychology Services. Okay, big title. And they wrote an article about this idea of saying no and the benefits actually that come to children's lives as a result of saying no. They, they, I won't go through the whole article with you, but they say there's five things that actually benefit children when discipline is brought in. When a, when a line is set and when it's passed, then either no is said or there's some sort of consequences that follow. So they write this, that kids actually need to feel discomfort. For them to grow to be successful adults, they need discomfort in their lives. Second, they say kids need to learn to wait. Number three, boundaries make kids actually feel secure. We might think the opposite. We're just like, no, just give them total freedom But that actually creates instability and anxiety in their lives. So boundaries actually are helpful. This is coming from School of Psychology, okay? We're just like, we're stepping back from the scriptures. We're going to come back to it. But this is just stepping back. They say this is beneficial for children. Number four, kids need to know that their parents are in charge. They need that. They need to know that mom and dad in love have set these boundaries and they're the ones who are making the decisions on that. Not me, not my brother, not my little sister. Mom and dad are in charge. And number five, kids need parents to be parents, not friends. The consultant days are coming, you know, as you grow older. The consultant friendship days are coming. But in the little years, kids want parents. So here's the summary of the article. A key focus of good parenting is setting up your children with long-term life skills. So that's what they're saying here. What you're doing when you're disciplining is not just about today. 
It's about like five years from now, 10 years from now, long-term. It's the idea of short-term pain for long-term gain. While your children may be disappointed when they hear the word no, it will make them much more prepared for the reality of adulthood, where we, ha- where we all have to hear that word more often than we'd like. So this article is saying, listen, when you parent, when you set up boundaries, kids actually flourish, they feel safer, they know that mom and dad care for me, even though, remember, in the moment, it's just like pain, there's a screaming, there's crying, there's snot, there's all kinds of stuff. You're like, how is this working towards like goodness? But it's saying, listen, over time, it's actually good for them. It's beneficial for them. But listen, as believers, and what Paul is anchoring this to is more than just their good behavior. The goal in parenting is not just so that we have all these great, like, you know, these children that look perfect, and everybody's like, oh, your children are wonderful, and all these postable moments. That's not what parenting is about. As believers, we are actually part of God's work in their lives to prepare them to interact with God himself. So in Hebrews chapter 12, we have this beautiful explanation of what God is actually doing in people's lives. Listen to this, starting in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Okay, pause right there. If God is a father who disciplines, then his is the example to follow. God's example is for us to follow. And the teaching here is, When you experience the discipline of the Lord, you have to wait for something in your life. Something difficult comes into your life. You sin and you experience the consequences of that. All that discipline work, that is the loving Heavenly Father active in your life. Then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. In due time, right? In due time. Okay, the respect is coming if you're not feeling it now. In due time. Shall we not much more respect, sorry, shall we much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. So here's what the author is saying. The experience of parenting and disciplining is preparation so that children will grow up to know and experience and respond in the right way to God's discipline in their lives. So discipline will lead them to better behavior and obedience and even success in adulthood? Absolutely. But the ultimate goal is that when God speaks to them through his discipline, they will be prepared and ready to hear from God their Father. So, parents, parent with discipline. 
Number three, parent with instruction. Here, this word instruction is literally with the words that you use, the way that you talk to them about the Lord or about the things in your life. And here, probably Paul is thinking of Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema, which says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk with them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Here the teaching in Deuteronomy is, parents, mother, father, your role is to teach your children about God, about life, it's to impart to them the wisdom that you've learned or, or the mistakes that you've made. It's to talk about those things. It's to find ways to bring the scriptures into the family context. Reading scriptures together with your children or maybe reading uh, Christian biographies about people who have been shaped by the gospel. Bringing those moments and times into the family context. And again, here I think Dads, your involvement is huge so that your children are hearing and seeing you reading the scriptures with them and talking with them about spiritual matters. But more than just like, this is sit down devotion time, you know, it's like make it a part of your life. What does he say there? When you walk, when you lie down, when you rise, it, it should be a part of the family culture in a sense that God is actually at the center of who we are as a family and so the things that we experience the joys that we experience the wonders of the the beauty of nature or wherever we're going God is the one who gets the glory for that when you pray for something as a family and then experience and see those prayer requests answered this is part of what the teaching is. It's experiencing a spiritual life in the family context. So experience this teaching, teach the teaching, live it out with your children, make it a part of your family context. So parent with love, parent with discipline, parent with instruction, and lastly we'll close with parent with the Lord. Parent with the Lord. When God created the world, he made the mountains, he made the trees, he made the animals, he made everything. But the pinnacle of his creation was mankind. People are the pinnacle of God's creation. So as a parent, you are for a little while, for like a little window. And I, I can say that now. My oldest is 22 and she's getting ready to move out within like a couple months. So I'm like, there's the window, you know, where you had them for a while and, and then the goal is, this is the hope, right, that they move out, right? That they, that they leave the nest, that they head out. And you are, as parents, stewarding these lives just for a small window. And it's a... It's a challenging task. I think what we discover as parents 
is that children are fragile and they are these weak little beings and you know, when they're first born, and we've had three, so we've been able to bring three home from the hospital, you're like, I remember the first one, is like, this tiny little thing, and suddenly the nurses are like, okay, see ya, you know, heading out, and I'm thinking like, shouldn't a nurse or a doctor come with us, you know, maybe move in with us to help? We have to keep this little life alive now. This is on us. And what you discover in parenting is not just that the kids are weak, but that you as a parent are rife with weakness. Overwhelmed over and over again. Failing on a regular basis. Doing things that you never thought you would do and doing them in the wrong way. And there's just, as a parent, as a father, and as a mother, experiencing one weakness after another weakness after another weakness. And Paul here says, when you parent, the thing that ties all this together is that you are parenting as to the Lord. The grace that you experienced on the cross, the grace that we just reflected on through the bread and through the cup, the grace that we need to get saved is the same grace that we must access when it comes to parenting. Because over the years, as all these different decisions come our way, our deepest trust and the thing that we hold on to the most is not in our abilities, not in our capabilities, but it's in the grace of God to work through weak vessels like mom and dad. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this text that challenges and encourages us. Lord, thank you for all the children that are in this church and for the different lives that have been called to lead them. Father, would you give us grace and mercy as we walk those paths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.